Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone this morning. And in particular, it's good to have this opportunity to uh, deliver the message today. Uh, we're going to do it a little, a little differently than we've done it in the past, and we're going to use PowerPoint this morning. And the topic that we're talking about today are the lessons I've learned from Romans. Now, I've got the temerity to even stand here and talk about this. I know after Paul has preached for a year and a half, almost two years, about the truths that come from the book of Romans. But uh, I wanted to share with you some of the lessons I've learned in particular. As a matter of fact, uh, when I stopped to think about what I would do and how I would share this, I realized that if I did it the way I was originally thinking of, we would have about a two-hour sermon. I don't believe that would be within your tolerance, especially from a preacher like me. So I decided that the smart thing to do was to break this into two parts. And this morning, the, the aspect that we're going to talk about is the dual remedy that God has given us, the truths that come from Romans, about the blood of the cross. That's the dual remedy of that, uh, to which Paul refers. And next Sunday, we'll talk about the normal Christian life. As Paul was preaching this series of sermons, and it really began to work in my heart, I, I picked up uh, Watchman Nee's book, The Normal Christian Life. And I read that along with what we were doing at the time that we were preaching, especially what we call Volume 2 and Volume 3, about uh, Jesus freeing us from sin's penalty and Jesus freeing us from sin's power. And so as we look at the first visual, we're going to talk about the dual problem to which Jesus alone is the answer. And it begins, as you look at Romans, and Watchman Nee is the one who has said this, but I've had some original observations of my own as the Holy Spirit began working on me. But as you look at Romans, it's really kind of divided as it relates to this into two parts. Chapter 1 through chapter 5, verse 11, deals with the problem of sins, plural, sins. And beginning at the transition at chapter 5, verse 12, the focus begins to come on sin, singular, sin. And that relates to our sin nature. We talk about the transgressions that we committed, and then we talk about the sin nature. That's the reality that we face, and that is the remedy that God has for us with the blood of the cross as he deals with this, these two things, sins and sin, as it relates to us. As I was reading through this, and as I, as, in particular as, as I was reading Watchman Nee's book, it began to, deal, it began to uh, speak to me about the fact that we were talking about root problems and root causes. And coming from the business world and spending 35 years in that environment, that was something I always was fascinated about, was trying to understand reasons for failure or reasons for misfortune in the uh, business environment. And in particular, after witnessing it firsthand, to see an organization that had existed for 125 years simply disappear from the corporate world, being absorbed into another company and no longer exist. And it had been a very successful, dominant com company in its particular industry. And yet... Technology changed that industry and had a great effect. But there were things that happened 
that I saw as the root problems. And yet, we look at the next visual here, there's a need to understand the difference between root problems and root causes and surface problems and surface causes. And I got this particular visual many, many years ago, matter of fact, uh, from Bill, one of Bill Gothard's seminars, but it made such sense and it had such applicability to my business world that I, I've never forgotten it. And that is that we tend, and this is a human nature, we tend to address the surface problems. Those are the symptoms that exist. And if you think of it in a terms of a disease, it's like giving someone who's suffering the horrible pain of cancer an aspirin and thinking it's going to solve the problem. It might address the pain on the temporary basis, but it's not going to solve any problems. So we have a tendency, human being-wise, to uh, address the, the surface problems, and maybe occasionally we get down to what the surface cause is. But seldom ever do people get down to the root problems and root causes. And in the Christian life, there are root problems, and that is our sins. And God has dealt with that effectively in Christ Jesus. And our sin, that's our sin nature, and he has dealt with that through the cross. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The root problem and the root, the root cause. Let's talk about the dual problem of sins and sin for a moment and look at it scripturally because it says in the truth relative to sins is that I am a sinner. I have committed transgressions against God. I have sinned against him. And it says in, in Romans chapter 3 verse 10, there is none righteous, not even one. None whatsoever are righteous. It also says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's in 3.23. So the fact is, is that there's none righteous. I am a sinner. I'm in need of forgiveness and redemption and reconciliation to God through Jesus Christ. The truth is, I have a sin nature. And that is found in Romans as he addresses it. Romans chapter 7, verse 17, but sin dwells in me. And he said, even before that, or after that, actually, I find that the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do, to do good. And he talks about that struggle that took, that took place in chapter 7. He gives them solutions in chapter 6, but then he kind of goes into the description, but he says, thanks be to God, I have found a, I have found a way. And that's the whole thing in chapter 8, about the way that we can effectively walk in the Spirit and be delivered from the power of sin. And so what Paul had done in the division of his sermons, that as we started this whole thing, we laid the foundation that Jesus alone is the answer. There is no other answer. It's Jesus, and that's what Paul, the apostle, makes clear in those first few verses of, uh, first few chapters of Romans, that Jesus is the answer. And then he goes in to explain that Jesus, and this was volume two of our pastor's sermons, Jesus has delivered us from the penalty of sin. And then we began in 5.12 to understand that Jesus has delivered us from the power of sin. He's not only delivered us from its penalty, but from its power over us as well. Let's look at the next visual for a moment. 
Because these are the truths that we have to face. To face. And also, to understand the first truth about our sins, plural, is that this is going to deal or touch my conscience. As it relates to sin, the sin nature that I face, and that it's part of me, it's reality, that touches my life. These two things. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we go through. Let's look at the next visual for a moment. And this was the fact that I just explained to you about freeing us from sin's power as well as sin's penalty. Now let's look at one other aspect of it. That's the two aspects of our salvation. First of all, the blood of Jesus. And this is what the blood of Jesus has done for us. It has has provided for the forgiveness of our sins. That's the first thing it has done. The cross has provided for the deliverance of our sins. But let's talk about the blood of Jesus and the deliverance of the forgiveness of our sins. As a matter of fact, if you have your Bible, let's look at Romans chapter 5 for just a moment this morning. Beginning in verse 7, part of this is up there on the screen, but I think it's important for us to look at our, our Bible and look at it more fully. Beginning in Romans 5, verse 7. For one would hardly die, well, actually beginning in verse 6. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. So he has allowed for our forgiveness by his blood. His blood pays the price and satisfies uh, God's demand because of his holiness and God's pure righteousness in every way. Jesus has made it possible for us to come into the presence of a holy and righteous God. Now, let me just share with you for a moment, be backing up as to why I'm, I'm preaching this sermon to begin with. And I'm going to have to beg the pardon of my small group, which has heard me uh, expound on some of these things out of my own personal experience over the last year. And we've shared some things together, and we've talked about this, and we've talked about it in the small group personally as we've shared it. But the fact is, is that uh, we struggle with some of these truths sometimes. We have a difficult time comprehending them. I'm not telling you anything new this morning, not one solitary piece of information that I'm sharing will be new to you. You've heard it all here many times from this pulpit expounded, and you've heard it from your own daily devotionals. You've heard the voice of God speak to you. It's clear as we understand, but sometimes we need to understand it uh, in a better and a more effective way. We need to have it laid out for us so we can understand it more comprehensively. And that's one of the things that I've been blessed by as Paul has preached through this series of sermons over the last year and a half, almost two years that has given me a greater comprehension of the truth of the gospel. It has spoken to me effectively and helped me understand things that I never understood before. And we'll share some of that next week, and we're going to share some of it today. But in particular, I understood how the blood was important, that the blood essentially paid the price. The precious blood of Jesus was shed for me. 
We sung hymns about the power of the blood, or you washed in the blood, and on and on, all of our life, we've heard these things. And sometimes it really has just gone over us, and we just have paid no attention to it. But the fact is, is that when you understand that as you look at Romans, and understand how Paul was speaking to the church there, and to give them a greater understanding of what God had done, it had laid out this incredible theology. I mean, just in, in a way that is just incomprehensible almost. It's so beautiful. And he has told them about the fact that their sins have been dealt with by the blood of Jesus. And their sin nature has been dealt with by the cross of Jesus. And when you begin to add this together and you compare them one with another, and when I was reading Watchman Nee, it began to dawn on me, and I kind of prepared what I call the linear outline of Romans, as I put these things side by side, and this is how this visual came out, I wanted to do this visually because when I did it visually, it began to really speak to me and help me to understand that God's dual remedy is effective in every way. And it relates to not only the forgiveness of my sins, but my deliverance from the power of sin. So we look at uh, that visual here in the verses of Scripture that we've read. It also brings to fact one other verse of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. The author of Hebrews said, And according to the law, one may also say, All things are cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. So it, it, the Bible just speaks to us that God has demanded, out of his holiness and righteous, righteousness and justice, that blood be shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And Jesus willfully, willingly did that as a sacrifice for us, once and for all. And also, by his death on the cross, he provided for us, a way of victory, a way of effective living. As Watchman Nee called it, it's the normal Christian life. We've most often heard, and we've heard it preached here, praise God for that, about the higher Christian life, the victorious Christian life, the throne life. And we heard that at the uh, Rekindle the Flame gathering in Colorado back in no- November. I'd not heard the term before, but it made sense. God's on his throne. We are there, joint heirs with Christ to reign with him, and indeed to experience firsthand the throne life. And but just as I, but what really impressed me as I was reading through uh, the Bible and through Romans, and in particular as I was reading through Watchman Nee's book, that it is indeed intended to be the normal Christian life. It's not meant for people who are super spiritual, who are super dedicated who are extraordinarily gifted with spiritual gifts, it's meant for everyone. It's applicable to every single one of you here this morning. No exclusions. Everyone. That we are to be delivered from our sins, be to be forgiven from our sins, and to experience Christ's victory through the cross. Let's look at one other visual here on the two aspects of our salvation And it says here, but God demonstrates his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us with respect to the cross. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. 
And that, how important that is. The sanctification aspect of it, okay, meaning that we're free from the power of sin, and we are enabled by the cross, by his crucifixion, and going through that experientially, and we'll talk about that later on next week. But in particular, what it really means is this, that we are to experience the sanctification that God has intended for us from the very beginning through Christ, that we become more like him day by day. That's sanctification, really, the process by which God transforms us and makes us more like his son day by day in our life. The benefit is eternal life. So we have two aspects of our salvation, forgiveness and deliverance. Let's talk a little bit about God's dual remedy, the blood and the cross. And let's talk about how this deals with specific aspects of what we need as Christians or as sinners to be forgiven. First of all, the blood deals with what we've done. That is our sins. That is what the blood deals with. It deals with that. The cross, on the other hand, deals with what we are, sinners. That is our sin nature. The blood disposes of our root problem. That is our transgressions against God. The cross disposes of the root cause. That is our sin nature. And lastly, the blood procures our pardon for what we have done. We have been forgiven. The cross procures our deliverance from what we are, that we might be victorious in this life that we live. Now, that's something to consider. It's a simple, straightforward thing. Nothing mystical or, or, or difficult to understand about it at all. The blood and the cross. Let's look at some of the other things that the blood does for us in the next visual much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. It says in Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Much more, having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. That's what the blood does for us. The cross says, knowing this, in verse 8, or verse 6 of chapter 6, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be done away with so that we no longer would be slaves to sin. That's the deliverance that we're talking about from this sin nature, that we no longer would be enslaved to it. God has provided a means for us to conquer that, and that is through, through the cross of Christ. It's Christ that's done it. Not us, but Christ. Let's look at the next visual. The blood whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in, in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. That's in Romans 3:25. The cross, it says, I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith and the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. In Galatians 2.20. Such a key verse. And I was encouraging the people in the first service, if there's one verse of Scripture, and there's more than one, but obviously if there was one that is so key for us to understand that the cross has provided for our victory 
over this sin nature, it is that when I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, that's in my body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, I can remember reading a book one time, and it was talking about the key aspect of this being like almost a verse of scripture that unlocked some secrets. It's not secret, but it unlocks some truths that are just magnificent, and it is found in this. As a matter of fact, there's more than that. If you look back at at, uh, at Romans chapter 6 for just a moment, it says in verse 6 of chapter 6, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we no longer would be slaves to sin. Saying much the same thing about the crucifixion of self. Experiencing the crucifixion of Christ. And how this provides essentially for our deliverance from the power of sin. Okay, let's look at the next visual. Let's talk about the triune power of the blood of Jesus. And I use this word triune. I was, I was thinking about, what well, do you say threefold because it accomplishes three things? But it's triune, and it relates to the Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But I thought triune is a great way of describing the power of the blood of Jesus. Because it deals effectively, it operates effectively in three separate areas. And a very fancy word for that is it, it is efficacious. Meaning that it, it has is effective in achieving desired results. It's more than just effective, but it is effective in a successful sort of way. It, it is very effective in terms of doing what God has purposed it to do. First, it is effective in our relationship with God, because our sins must be dealt with. And secondly, it is effective with respect to our own self, to mankind, if you will, because our guilt must be dealt with. And lastly, it is effective with respect to our enemy, our accuser, Satan himself, because our accuser must be dealt with. Now, let's talk specifically how that applies. The blood in this respect applies to this. And that is, as you look at the next visual, the blood is for atonement and has to do with our standing before God. The blood has atoned and paid the price for our sins. Nothing that you and I could ever do in a million years, if we could live that long, would ever pay the price for our sins. There's no efforts we could make. There's no repentance that we could make. There's no price that we could pay that would ever be effectively because it took a perfect sacrifice. And that alone was Jesus Christ, our Lord. So there was no other way for it to be accomplished but by the shedding of his blood to give us right standing before God, to justify us before the Father because of what he had done and he alone, nothing else. And all that we need do is accept that through faith. And he gives us the faith to believe it. It's all he's doing. And that's another great truth that emanates from Romans. that comes clearly. So it is that in Leviticus, for instance, you find that the great high priest had to go into the Holy of Holies once a year to make sacrifice for the nation. 
We've had a great high priest that entered the Holy of Holies and made the sacrifice once and for all. Never again to be done. Never again required. It is sufficient once and for all. When, we, when I see the blood, God said, I will pass over you. As it says in Exodus uh, chapter 12, verse 23. And again, Peter calls this to our attention. He says, in those two verses in chapter 1 of 1 Peter 18 and 19, he says, knowing that you have, you are not redeemed with perishable things, not with gold or silver, but you are redeemed with precious blood, the blood of, the blood of Christ, the blood of Jesus. That's how we've been redeemed. That's how we've been reconciled to God. Let's look at the next one. The blood of Jesus and man. A clear conscience is never based upon my attainment. I cannot accomplish it. The guilt that I have because of my sins can never be, can never be atoned for by any effort I make. It's by the blood of Jesus. It is not within my ability to attain atonement or forgiveness. It's by the blood of Jesus. It's based on his work and the shedding of his blood. It says in Hebrews 10.22, Let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And this deals not, not only with our guilt, it deals with our accuser. There's another verse of scripture that's related to that. And let's look at the next visual, the blood of Jesus and Satan. Because the blood of Jesus is efficacious with respect to our enemy, Satan himself. And this is a statement that I wrote out of my own. This is my statement. Satan's most effective strategy, and I, and I base this on the fact that you'll find him as the accuser of the brethren in, uh, in Revelation 12.10. His most effective strategy is to convince us that our sins are so egregious, so reprehensible, so great, that there's nothing we could possibly do to be forgiven. It's impossible. Well, that's right. But it tells us, that Satan accuses us, that it's impossible. That it just, your, your sins are just too great. Doesn't do any good to ask. Now this is the enemy, who is the father of all lies, is he not? He deals with us in this respect. The problem is, is that oftentimes we believe him instead of believing his word. We believe him rather than the truth of the scripture. And so we allow him to convince us in this strategy that he employs that it's just impossible. That it's too great. But... What our human nature, and this is our sin nature, does, it begins to work on us and say, you know, you know, your sins are great. Yes, the blood of Christ is going to, is going to bring about the forgiveness of your sins. But, you know, it would be nice if I could just earn God's favor. If I could just possibly you know, do something to earn that favor. And now I speak with a great deal of expertise in this area. Because as I've shared with my small group, and I'll share with you, and I think maybe I even have done before, I went to great lengths to do this. To great lengths to do it. As a matter of fact, I took a very business-like approach to it. As many years ago, I heard the wisdom of, of a vision, mission-driven organization, and then I heard the wisdom of how 
a vision mission statement would be applicable for a person individually. And so I sat down, and this was maybe 15, almost 20 years ago, and I crafted a vision and mission statement for me. A vision statement saying, this is what I want her Burnap to be. And the mission statement says, this is what her Burnap does. This is who he is. This is what God's created me for. That was good. I also crafted goals, long-term things I wanted to do that were very religious. And I crafted strategies by which I would employ to get to those accomplishment of goals. And, uh, and I had all of this figured out. I took it to the extreme that I even had it put on paper. I had it laminated, and I stuck it to the bathroom wall. It didn't do any good. It didn't do any good. I saw it every day. I memorized it. I could tell you my vision mission statement. I could tell you the goals in my life and the objectives and how I was going to accomplish them, the strategies I was going to employ to get there. And I strived mightily with all earnestness and honesty. I tried with all my heart to do this because I thought I needed to do something to exemplify the wisdom of God's word in my life and to demonstrate that how, somehow, some way, I might be deserving of God's grace. And it didn't work. It was impossible. It was, as a result, actually many years of utter and total frustration. It was complete frustration because it was a complete failure. As much as I wanted to be a success, and all that Paul says in chapter 7 of Romans is the perfect description, the perfect description of who I was and what I achieved. The things I wanted to do, I didn't do. The things I despised and did not want to do, I did. Oh, my, what a incredible experience it was until finally we hear in chapter 8, verse 1, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of, of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. One of the other epiphanies I so appreciated from Paul's series of sermons in Romans was this. And that the Sunday he explained, not too long ago actually, the purpose of God's law. And God had given law to the, to the, to the nation of Israel. He had given the oracles of his word to them. And said, if, relative to diet, moral law, religious law, in every facet and aspect of their life, the law was given to Moses for the nation and documented. This is the way you are to live. This is the way you are to behave. This is the way you ought to think. Now, the purpose of that was to instill in man's mind that God touched every aspect and phase of life. It was purpose to really direct man's thinking, his thoughts and his heart, toward his maker, his creator, his savior and God. That was his purpose. But being what we are, having a sin nature, we needed something more. We needed God in us. As the song said this morning, Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's what we need. 
And that's what the cross brings about. See, the blood deals efficaciously with God and the relationship we need to have with him. And that we have it because of the blood of Jesus. It deals efficaciously because of our evil conscience. God has dealt with that through the blood of the cross. And God has dealt with our accuser who tempts us in every way, who assaults us in every way. And whether you want to or not, by the way, you're at war. Spiritually, you are at war. You know, we are a nation at war, but we don't act like we are. What a difference it is when you think about it, and those of you of the older generation can appreciate this. I can even have a vague recollection of those days when coupons, war bonds, and all that was an important part of life. And yet the war ended when I was only five years old. But I can remember what a prodigious effort it required on behalf of the whole nation. And the whole nation was aware that we were at war with Germany and Japan. Yet we're at war spiritually. And sometimes we act as if it didn't exist, that we're at peace with our enemy. He's not at peace with us. He never will be. He seeks to deceive us in every way. And this is why the blood of Christ is so important, because it deals with our accuser. And we need that. And there's a... Let's look at the next slide about the blood of Jesus and Satan. And there's some verses of Scripture here that are applicable. And if you have your study guide this morning, I'd encourage you but sometime this week to do that little exercise. I think it's question or section four of the study guide that says, kind of connect these verses of Scripture with these three areas of effective dealing with, with uh, through the blood of Jesus. It says in 1 John 1, 7, But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sins. His blood cleanses us. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself out without offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And that's in Hebrews 9:12. And it says, lastly, and they overcame him, meaning the accuser, because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not lose their life even when faced with death. We need the blood of Jesus operating effectively in our lives. How do we do that? We simply believe. We trust God. And recognize that there's nothing we can do. And what a great revelation that was to me. In that, I certainly understood that I had failed utterly to live effectively out of my own strength, regardless of how earnestly and honestly and religiously I tried. I understood that I failed. But I didn't understand, the one thing that kind of escaped me was the aspect of the sin nature. And the other thing that kind of came home clearly to me through Paul's series of sermons and through the book, The Normal Christian Life, is that God has provided a way to counter that. He has provided a way of victory over the sin nature. Not only has he provided a way by which I might be forgiven of my sins, my transgressions against God, by the blood of the Lamb. But he has given me a way through the cross by dying to self and living to him to be victorious 
over this sin nature. He has dealt with my sins, and he has dealt with my sin, the sin problem. He has dealt with the root problem, and he's dealt with the root cause. He is sufficient in every way. There is no other way but the way of Jesus. There's no other way except through him. Let us pray. Father and God, thank you so much for the eternal truth of your word, which speaks to us, God. It never passes away. It is true. It delves deeply into our heart and our spirit. It stirs us, God. It convicts us, uh, convicts us and convinces us of sin and righteousness and judgment as you have ordained it to do. And Father, I thank you for your power made manifest by the blood of Jesus and the cross on which the Lamb of God was slain. Thank you for him who was obedient even unto death, who shed his blood for us. Thank you for him who died and rose again and sits now at the right hand of your throne in glory, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. He is our Savior, our Redeemer, our Master, our friend, and our brother. Thank you for Jesus, Father. Thank you for your great grace and mercy. Thank you for your loving kindness poured out upon us through him. Thank you, God, for the truth again of your word that speaks to us every day, every moment. It shall never pass away. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, God, that you would direct our heart to you and transform us by your power so that Christ would be seen in us the hope of glory. In his name we pray. Amen.